0: You are listening to Sermon Audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more Sermon Audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. We're going to get started this morning. Good morning. Welcome to Red Tree Church. We are glad you guys are here tonight. You guys go ahead and turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk. If you go to Matthew and you take a left-hand turn, four or five books, you're going to find uh, the the prophet Habakkuk. That's where we're going to be preaching this morning. And as you get there this morning, I first have just a couple of announcements, additional announcements uh, for us this morning regarding uh, two of the people in our body. One is a deacon. You all know Kurt Augustine, He is one of our deacons. Him and his wife, Audra, are faithful members of our church. He coordinates our... Uh, um, visitation and um, our visitation ministry through our church as a deacon Uh, recently there's a church in bourbon missouri which is an awesome place by the way just by the name itself um, called enjoy christian fellowship that has been connected to kurt through sam through a mutual friend and they have asked kurt to preach there uh, as an on an interim basis um, they got connected, he went and preached just a couple of times, and they're looking, they're, they're kind of a hurting church right now, and they're looking for somebody just to kind of guide them for a season in an interim way as they search for a permanent pastor. And so Kurt and Audra go out there on Sunday mornings and preach, and I believe he also goes out there on Wednesday afternoons, or Wednesday evenings, and he is their, their Pratt. Uh, their pastor during this season. So we wanted to let you guys know that so you can be praying for them as they do this. Uh, this church does not have a connection to Red Tree Church. They're not looking to become a Red Tree Church. Um, they are they're, they're in a, a different, uh, I think they're in this, I don't even know what denomination they are for, for certain to be honest with you, but, um, but they're a hurting church and it's our privilege to serve them. We are for the gospel. And whether that gospel is here or in Mumbai or in South County or mid-cities in Maplewood or in Bourbon, Missouri, we are for the gospel. And so we are for churches that are gospel-centered churches. And this is an opportunity for us to send our best for a season. Kurt's doing an amazing job as a, as a deacon in his area of service for visitation ministry. And, and so we have to pick up that ball a little bit from him. It puts a little bit of a burden on us because he was point man for that for us. And so he's out for a little bit. And so be in prayer for Kurt and, and uh, Audra as they engage this. Uh, we believe in sending our best for the kingdom, whether that is planting churches or taking sending people for an interim to do what Kurt's doing, we believe in that a ton. And so be in prayer for that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is Brandon Hughes. You all know Brandon. He's the red-headed guy with a beard that often sits over here with his four little girls and plays bass on occasion for us. Um, Brandon got to preach for us last year a little bit. We talked a little bit about the hope of developing him and eventually planting a church with Brandon and Lisa in the future. Well, he's been in a little bit of a leadership pipeline for us, not elder development yet, but in a little bit of a a leadership pipeline for us and exploring what it would look like to eventually plant a church. And so he's been networking with other organizations like the North American Mission Board uh, as they, they have processes to develop and vet men for church planting. And one of the things they like to see is they like to see these men engaged in staff ministry, to be on staff at a church. And, of course, we don't have the funds to hire him full-time, but we do have needs in our church that fit Brandon's gifting as well as Lisa's gifting. And so Brandon is going to be in a season of fundraising to dedicate part of his ministry, part of his, part of his week, to some specific areas of our church. One of those is our student community ministry, so our student small group, if you want, a youth group, we call it student student community, is one. And the other is a young adult ministry, so college age and a little beyond. Uh, he and Lisa are going to develop that ministry um, Well, they really already have. The announcement's a little bit later than we had wanted it to be. They've already engaged in this. So he's currently fundraising to that end. This isn't a fundraising announcement. This is just just to let you know what's going on. Many of you already know what's happening. If you don't know Brandon and Lisa, get to know them. Have them over to their house. They're they're wonderful people. Uh, They love the Lord. They're passionate about the gospel. And they love kids, whether they're the little student-age kids student age kids or the young adult as well. So uh, be in prayer for them as well uh, as they begin this ministry. Um, to that end, um, keep in mind that for the last two years, the last year in particular, uh, Sam has been shouldering the load of both lead pastor as well as leading our student ministry. And it's it's been a tough season for him. So we've been praying for someone to come and to take that over and, and there's been a lot of people step up to help in this area. But this is an area where Brandon and Lisa can come in and actually be, uh, dedicate part of their week to, to our students and to our young adults in our, in our church. If you have any questions about any of that, uh, let me know. You can see me after the gathering. We'll talk about it, I guess, I'm sure, next week at our covenant member meeting as well. Uh, but be praying for them. And, of course, Sam and Kim had a baby this week. Little William Moses Tennell. I'll leave the nicknames to other people. But William Moses Tennell, it's too easy. Uh, they're having a great time with that baby at home. And so just be praying for them as well. In fact, let me, before we get started, let me pray. And then we'll get started uh, with the prophet Habakkuk. God, we are grateful for the gospel. And we are grateful for the way that it moves us. We are grateful for the way it churns our life upside down and inside out, as painful and as uncomfortable that may be. Lord, we know that you are holding us fast through that and in that to the ends that you desire for us to go out to love people as you love us and so father we are grateful for this time that we have today we're grateful for uh, the augustins we're grateful for the hughes we're grateful for the tenels or just examples of three families in our church that uh, are in a time in their life right now where there's a, a bit of a season of transition and Uh, We know that they're holding fast to you as you hold fast to them, and we're grateful for that. Lord, our time this morning is your time. These words that are about to come from the page that I've written, the pages that I've written this week, these are your words. And if there is anything on these pages, God, that should not be spoken, Lord, strike them from my mouth, Lord. We want your Spirit to speak this morning to us through this ancient prophet. And so, Father, do the work in our hearts. We have already worshipped, and we have a sense and an understanding of who you are, and that you are here, and that you will be here when we exit this building today, and your desire is for us to be the hands and the feet of our Savior. So, Father, to that end, open our hearts. Open our hearts this morning to the truth and the wonder of your word. And we trust you that you will do these things, God. We pray that we are faithful to you as you are faithful to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Habakkuk. We're going to begin, obviously, a new book today. Couldn't get that out for a second. We're going to begin a new book today. This is the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, We've been preaching this summer through three of the 12 minor prophets, as many of you know. Uh, We began the summer preaching from Malachi. Uh, We just finished up Malachi last week. This week we have the prophet Habakkuk. We'll be preaching from the the, um, prophet Habakkuk for the next three weeks, including today. And after that, we will be preaching from the prophet Jonah. That will round out our summer, and then we will begin something new beginning in September, which will be here before you know it. Um, as we began this summer series, I preached the, original me- the first message, and it was called, Why the Prophets? It was a, a message preached back on May 19th. And if you recall, I attempted to, to put the Old Testament in a bit of a framework of the entire Old Testament. We looked at the table of contents, you may recall, and we talked about made, making some divisions along the lines of history, poetry, and prophecy, and put that into even a larger picture of the story of God. Because when we read the Word of God, regardless of where we are, any place we 're at any any book, any testament, any chapter, any sentence, any word points to Jesus, and we have to see the story of God, Old Testament being the promise, New Testament being the Old Testament fulfilled. We have to see that and understand that as we read and study and preach Scripture. So we saw those prophets, we saw the history, we saw the poetry in the bigger bigger picture of God. And we talked about the story, or we talked about the role of the prophet being a mouthpiece for God to the people of Israel. And they would preach a message of judgment, or they would preach a message of hope, to the people and what we said was this to be faithful to his word God he has to judge his people to be faithful to his word he he will judge his people however that same word demands that judgment will not be the end of his dealings with his people because our God is a God of hope our God is a God of hope and that is important for us to believe this morning That our God is a God of hope. I think that's a a word that we always need to hear. That God is a God of hope. He's not a genie in a bottle. His promises are steadfast promises. He has fulfilled them in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. As we engage the word of God, as we dig deeper into who he is, we have this sense of of assurity that God is who he says he is and that he does hold us fast, and that he won't let us go. That is a God who he is. He is a God of hope. Yes, he is a God of justice, but he is a God of great hope. And as we said back in May, we said the, the writings of the prophets were clustered around three time periods. There was the divided kingdom because of sin, because of the dis- disobedience of the word of God. The kingdom was divided into the north and the south. And these, these three time periods that the prophets um, were, were active in was the northern kingdom, when they got sent into exile, Israel. They were active in the southern kingdom, in the time period when the southern kingdom was taken into exile, which we're going to read about today. The, King, the, uh, uh, the Babylonians took them into captivity. So you had prophets preaching during that time frame of the north and the time of the south. And then, and then um, um, the prophets who were preaching... Uh, during the restoration of the kingdom, at the time when the southern kingdom, a remnant of the southern kingdom, was coming back into Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. Habakkuk was active in that second period, so the southern kingdom. Right, right before and during the southern kingdom was about to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians, this is where Habakkuk was prophesying. This is the time when Habakkuk was prophesying. So I'm going to read this morning... Chapter 1 for us, and the first verse of chapter 2. This is our text this morning that I will be reading from. So if you would follow along with me. Verse 1, chapter 1 says The Oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted." The Lord says, look among the nations, Habakkuk, and see wonder and be astounded. For I, the Lord, am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle to swift, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand at kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it, then they sweep up like the wind and go on, guilty men whose might is their god. And Habakkuk says, "Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment." And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like a fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, the wicked, shall all bring them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, and he makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Chapter 2 verse 1 The prophet says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he what God will say to me and what I will and what I will answer concerning my complaint and this is the word of the Lord. There's a lot of tension in that chapter. There's a lot of consternation in that chapter. What we need to first see here is that Habakkuk is is having a dialogue with God, right? You probably have headings in your Bible that tell you what's going on. He's having a conversation with God. It's actually a vision that God gave Habakkuk about having a dialogue between God and Habakkuk. In chapter 1, what we read was at first a complaint from Habakkuk, to God and then God answers Habakkuk and then Habakkuk issues yet another complaint and that's all in chapter one and that's that's today's message that's what today's message will be centered around next week chapter two is all about God responding to Habakkuk's second complaint and then Chapter Three, which will be the third message from Habakkuk, is essentially a psalm or a prayer in the form of a psalm from the by the prophet Habakkuk. So, what I want us to do is I want to put ourselves in Habakkuk's shoes. We hear these strangely named prophets in an, it's probably a somewhat obscure book by obscure book for most of us. I don't know when the last. Was that I read through the book of Habakkuk. Perhaps you've read through it sooner than, quicker than I have, more recent than I have, uh, but I don't spend a lot of time in the minor prophets. But we should. We should. You guys are familiar with the idea that there were good kings and bad kings, right? You've slodged through kings and chronicles and such, and you've read about good kings and bad kings, and your head spins because it's hard to keep track of who they are, where they are, who's good, who's bad. And the truth is, most of them are bad kings. Habakkuk is ministering during the reign of King Jehoiakim in the southern kingdom. That's the time frame that he's ministering ministering in. And so the southern kingdom has yet to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. That hasn't happened yet. King Jehoiakim is an evil and corrupt King who does evil and corrupt things to the people of God. He had succeeded another evil king, King Jehoiahaz. King Jehoiahaz was a king for three months. But King Jehoiahaz, who precedes King Jehoiakim, both of those guys preceded a king. You probably recognize his name, and his name was King Josiah. And he was a good king. He was a king for 31 years. So you had Josiah the king for 31 years, a good king, and then you had the second king Jehoiah has for three short months, and then you had Jehoiakim, who was another evil king. And this is the time frame that Habakkuk is ministering and is preaching in. And what King Josiah did, what King Jehoiakim did, the bad king during Habakkuk's time, is he reversed all the good stuff that Josiah did. And one of the primary things that King Josiah did was reestablish God's law. He reestablishes the law of God and the commitment to that law by the people and the king, and he he reestablishes, he makes another covenant with God and the people, and he walks humbly, and the people walk humbly before God. Jehoiakim ignores God and ignores the word, and he's evil and he's corrupt, and as we said, he treats God's people unjustly and wicked and habakkuk is witnessing all of this now sometimes i think that we think of these prophets who write or any writers of of scripture as particularly the prophets as being in like a bullpen of prophets right where they're in there and they have their notebooks and they're doodling and they're getting warmed up and they're ready for god to come in and call in the left-handed prophet so he can start writing now what god's going to say Right? Sometimes we think that. They're just waiting, sitting around to be raised up by God to write something down that God is saying so we can read it many, many years later. That's not how this works. It's not how it plays out. These are real people. These are, these are actual people who hurt These are actual people who have human emotions and have real problems, and they witness very real tragedies, and they live in very real and very, as we read, very confusing times, and they're trying to make sense of what's going on around them. So they're not just kind of floating around waiting for God to tap them on the shoulder so they can start writing things down. They're trying to make sense of what's going on in a confusing world. Does that sound familiar? Because that's the time we live in now, is it not? Man has always lived in some semblance of confusing times where we needed to understand what was happening. And this was the experience of our prophet Habakkuk. You have this king doing all these evil, wicked things after reform had come in for 31 years. Actually, half of that because these things didn't happen really until about halfway through Josiah's reign. But you have this king who's doing these evil things and he's supposedly anointed by the very God that Habakkuk serves. And he's trying to make sense of this. So you're you're Habakkuk and you're in his shoes and you're asking the question, how am I supposed to understand God, this holy God, when my political leader is so far out of line with God's character that he's the cause of these evil things that are happening. It doesn't line up. Habakkuk is saying it's not lining up with what I know about you, God. So Habakkuk does What you and I often do, or at least me, I can't speak for you, but at least me, when I'm frustrated and when I'm confused and I'm not getting my way or things aren't going the way I think they should go, and quite frankly, when people are just exercising their nature of sin, which is what we're talking about, right? We're just being, we're we're exercising our job description as sinners. And when that happens, what do we tend to do? Anybody? We complain. We complain right? We just complain. I'm glad I'm not alone in that. We complain. Here's the thing. There's a big difference between how Habakkuk complains and how we complain. Another question. Who do we typically complain to? I heard God. Who else? Everybody else. Each other, right? Each other. We complain to one another. Perhaps a better word is gossip, right we're not taking it to god we're complaining about one another to one another often not about the person that we're angry with or our intention with habakkuk however complains to the only one who can do anything about it he complains to the only one that can do anything about these circumstances he submits his complaint to god and in his kindness god responds to Habakkuk. He responds to Habakkuk. That's instructive for us. Let's not just see this as ancient history. This is explaining the character and the nature of who our God is. He responds to Habakkuk. However, what he tells Habakkuk stuns Habakkuk. Habakkuk's complaint about this evil king Jehoiakim leads God to then reveal to Habakkuk that he's going to use the Babylonians. In our text today, it says the Chaldeans, right? It's The, the Babylonian is the region, the Chaldeans is the, is the empire. And so they're, they're, uh, they're, um, um, he's revealing to Habakkuk that he's going to use the Babylonians to exercise justice against this king. Now, we have to keep in mind that the, the Babylonian Empire, the Chaldeans, is in process of taking down the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire took over the northern kingdom, and it's starting to wane. And the people, the ten tribes, Sam said it last week, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom are being dispersed, never to be heard from again. And the Babylonians are overtaking that northern kingdom, and they're getting bigger and badder and getting more wicked and doing more evil things. And Habakkuk knows what's in store for the king will also include the fate of the people as well. He sees what's happening, and then he hears even more bad news. So he knows where all of this is headed. And so he says to God in the form of his second complaint he says your answer is to dethroning this bad king God is to raise up an even more evil empire and do even more evil things to your people is that is that right Essentially what he is saying is God your cure is worse than the disease Your answer to this problem is actually worse, God. How in the world does that make any sense? So this is the mindset of our prophet this morning. It's a a mindset of, 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 of not understanding who God is and being confused. At least that's how he begins this story. A mindset of confusion, a heart of confusion. I don't think Habakkuk's whining here. I think he's genuinely trying to figure out and square who God is with what's going on in the world. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, we're all there. We're all there. So here's what I want us to see this morning. Is I want us to see Habakkuk as a mirror that reflects the struggles within the souls of his people then as well as now. Right? It's a struggle that says that if God is so good... And we talk about him and we preach him and we sing to him and we say that we live him out during the week and we celebrate him and we join in gospel community and discipleship. And it's all about this kind, loving, benevolent God. But then there's all these bad things that are happening in the world constantly. Other way of saying is, Where are you, God? That's what he's saying. Where are you, God? When I say that Habakkuk is a mirror that reflects the struggles within the soul of God's people, I want to be clear here because I'm talking about mankind. I'm talking about mankind. Everyone who is created in the image of God, which is everybody, non-believers and believers, are God's people. Is that right? Everybody created in the image of God are God's people. So we are, in a sense, all in the same family. We're all in this boat together because we share a common creator. We share a common father. You may not believe him and you may not be buying into the fact that he is your father. You may not have embraced that yet. You may not understand that you were created in the image of a holy God and you may not have submitted yet to the authority of Jesus in your, in your life. But it is nonetheless true that God is your father who loves you. He loves you deeply. And that is true of us. And we are in the same family together. So when I say this, I want to talk about it in terms of humankind. And so we're all asking these questions on on some level. right? Whatever your news source is, however you receive news, whether it's pick, pick, pick whatever it is, Twitter, the Internet, I invite Lester Holt from NBC News into my family room every night. 5.30 5.30 or on demand later on. My wife and I watch Lester. Lester tells us what's going on with the world around us. And we, we witness story after story, don't we? When we, when we read the Internet, whatever, whatever whatever our news source is, some of you, I hope, are still getting the newspaper. Anybody get the newspaper? A couple people. Praise God for that. Good for you, Judy. I should, but I don't. We should support our newspapers. <clears throat> um, But however we receive um, our news, it's just brokenness after brokenness, isn't it? It's story after story after story about the evil and the wicked things that are going into the world. So much so that at the end of every newscast on NBC News, they have a section, a segment which they call The Closer, and it's a good story. It's an uplifting story, right? They probably do this on all network news stories or even on, on cable. And they come in and they don't want to leave you feeling in despair because every story we read and, and hear and see is just one bad story after another. So they have a, a one final uplifting story that leaves you on a, nice, on a nice note as you go about your evening. And here's the thing. I think that perhaps the biggest challenge... For our Christian witness today, as we engage a post-Christian culture, more and more is the question that I think we are hearing the most and will hear the most, is where is God? I think that's the question that people are asking. And if you're not hearing that question, you're not running with with the right people. And that may be a little telling in your life, but the question is, if there is a good and loving God, why are things so bad? Why, is my, why are my children sick? Why is my marriage on the rocks and in shambles? Why am I lonely? Why can't I get ahead in the world? Why does the man I love or the woman I love or the children I love not believe in Jesus? Or simply, why is life so stinking hard for me? Right? We all know people where life is just hard for them. For some people, life is harder than others. That's a strange thing to hear, but I think it's, I think it's true. People struggle through life more than others do. And if that's the question that people are asking, then as image bearers, now here I'm talking specifically about the people that God has saved into the family of God. As image bearers, you and me, who call him Abba and Father and serve Jesus as Savior, if this is true, if that's the question the world is asking, then we have a lot of work to do, don't we? We have a lot of work to do, and let me tell you what the the work is not. The work is not explaining God. The work is not explaining who God is, because we can't explain who God is. After all, pieces of clay cannot explain to other pieces of clay who the potter is, because they're pieces of clay, right? Right? So it's not explaining God as much as it's embodying who God is, right? It's embodying who God is to the world around us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ in our everyday lives. Now, don't hear me say this. I'm not saying share the gospel and use words if if necessary. That's not what I'm saying here. The gospel needs to be shared in word and deed, Right? We need to live it out. We need to communicate the truth of the gospel to people as well with our words. But what I am saying is we can't argue people into the kingdom of God. Right? We can't argue or debate people into the kingdom of God. I don't care how smart you are. People cannot be debated into the kingdom. If they could, Jesus died for no reason. Jesus was the smartest person in the room, was he not? Did he debate people into the kingdom of God? No, he didn't. That's not how he worked. He came, and he served, and he suffered, and he died, and he rose. And that same spirit of that living God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and lives in me if we believe in Jesus. And he enables us to do the very same thing. We can live and we do live, and we're called to live an abundant life, and we are called to serve people, and if necessary, suffer with them. We're not even willing to be a little uncomfortable, let alone suffer for them often. But we can suffer with them and for them, and here's a newsflash, one day you're all, as me, are going to die. And the moment we die, we will never be more alive than in our life, Right? The moment we die, we will be more alive than we ever have been. And we look forward to that day. But in this passage this morning, we have Habakkuk crying out to God in the midst of all of this. Lord, where are you? Where are you, Lord? And one of the points, I believe, that is being made this morning by Habakkuk the prophet is found in verse 4, where he says, the law is Paralyzed and justice never goes forth. And that's where I want to land today, primarily. Good King Josiah's reform were all undone by King Jehoiakim. There's no justice. The king pays no attention to the righteousness of God he's supposed to be serving. It's a lawless land and lawless times, and there's no boundaries. We all probably know what it's like to live without boundaries. doesn't typically go very well for us when we don't have boundaries. All I have to do is look back is when I went to college. It was before I was saved and I had no boundaries and life was not good for me. And it wasn't life's fault. It was my fault and how I engaged it. But the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. And I think it's important for us to sit with this a little bit this morning and not brush by this as a historical fact, something that, okay, yeah, we read about in this obscure minor prophet called Habakkuk or Habakkuk or however you want to pronounce it. Both are probably wrong. It's not that, but it's also not that we're looking at, at and drawing instant parallels to the politics of our day and the chaos that ensues when we don't abide by laws. We can go to one of those two opposites. We can go to today and look at politics and, and politicians not following laws and what's happening and grumble about that, or we can just look back at ancient history and say, yeah, uh, we can do one of those two things. Here's what I think we need to do this morning is we need to make this more personal. Let me position it this way. What's another name for, for, for the law? When we're talking about God's, God's word, what's a name, another name for the law? I just tipped you. It's the Word, right? We talk about God's Word, we're talking about the Word. Um, I've been spending some time in my reading of Scripture. I'm up to Psalm 119. And I've been slowly reading through Psalm 119. Anybody else do that? Psalm 119 is a long psalm. It's 176 verses divided into 22 sections. Eight verses each section. I don't do math that fast. I had to write it down. So it's in a nice bite-sized chunk, eight verses per day. You can read it, you can meditate on it, you can pray through it, you can journal through it. I commend it to you. What's striking about Psalm 119 and why it is so life-giving is because it's all about the Word of God. Psalm 119 is the inspired Word of God describing the inspired Word of God. It's the ultimate, the Bible comments on itself. That's what Psalm 19 is about. If you have not spent time in Psalm 119, you need to be doing that. And there's all but a handful, literally five or six verses of the 176 verses in Psalm 119. Only a couple of them do not refer in every verse to the Word of God in some way, shape, or form using one of the following words. Word is one of them, as you may imagine. Promise, rules, statutes, decrees, commands, precepts, and laws. Those are all descriptors of the Word of God in Psalm 119. They're all interchangeable as they describe the Word of God. They all mean the same thing, but each word has a bit of a nuance to it as far as what it teaches us about the Word of God. My personal favorite so far, as I have found, is the word precept. It's this idea that the Word of God applies to the minutia of our everyday lives, right? So, see what we're doing. We're coming down from these big questions about who God is and why He's not working, and we're going to get to that answer. But we have to bring this thing down very, very fine into our lives because we are we are um, uh, we want to to think about these big things that that, that are happening in the world, and we should. And we should ask God, but we need to talk about how this is impacting ourselves. This is what we call at Red Tree and always have called is gospel-centeredness, not, of course, original to us. But Psalm 119.15, for instance, says, I will meditate on your precepts and, listen to this, fix my eyes on your ways. Minutia, small things in our life, a light to our path, right? A lamp to our, our path is the word of God. Fix our eyes on the ways of God. Psalm one nineteen ninety three. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. You have given me life. Every morning, before I engage the word of God, this is something I learned years and years ago, I pray Psalm 119, 36, 37, and I ask God to incline my heart to his testimonies and not to selfish gain. It says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, God, and give me life in your ways. Because folks, life is only found in the ways of God. It's not found anywhere else. We search for it Everywhere else, and people that we know that don't know God and do know God, but particularly those who don't, are filling up their hearts with things that cannot possibly give them life, even though they think that they do, and they don't. Life is only found in the ways of God, specifically in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it's the very thing the people in Habakkuk's day had forgotten. It wasn't just that they had a bad king, right? It wasn't just that they had a bad leader. They had forsaken the word of God as a people. That's why they were in this divided mess that they were in. The law was paralyzed. They were numb to the law. What happens, none of you have probably been paralyzed before. Perhaps you have temporarily, I'm not sure. But what happens when when your leg goes numb? You can't feel it, right? There's no feeling in that leg, in that foot, in that arm, whatever it is. And so... We get numb. Church, have you become... This is a question. Have you become numb to the Word of God? That's a question I want you to wrestle with this morning. Have you become numb to the Word of God? There are two things, I think, to look for in your life that are indicators that you have become numb to the Word of God. Two results, if you will. One is that if the word of god has become numb in our life and is in our lives and is paralyzed we will live a listless apathetic self-centered life if the word of god has become paralyzed in our lives we will live paralyzed lives we will walk through the world numb the number one spiritual discipline. So we think about spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and worship and serving and learning and whatnot when the number one spiritual discipline for spiritual growth is what? Reading the Word of God. We don't need a study to tell us that, although they did studies to tell us that, but that just makes sense reading and engaging scripture taking in the word of god applying it to every day in our in our in our life into the everyday minutiae will compel us to be a doer of the word through the power of the holy spirit we've talked a lot about discipleship here at red tree as we begin to kind of roll this out slowly this year we've been encouraging we've been trying to equip folk to be disciple makers but guys you can't lead somebody else if you're not leading yourself does that make sense You ought not look to the church to to tell you how to be a disciple maker. You look to God for that. Because you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and He is your chief discipler. Now, the church needs to help you, and we're trying to do that. But it's up to us, if we have the Holy Spirit, to avail ourselves of the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, because He is your discipler first and foremost. So the question is, are you living a self-centered, parallel lives because you're not taking in the Word of God? You're not studying and trying to figure out and wrestle with the Word of God. The second result of being numb to the word of God and flow, flows from the first is if you're in a season of numbness to the word or, or perhaps you haven't been, you haven't been uh, enlightened to the word to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ and serving, if it's happening at all serving is not life giving it's not life giving for you and it's not life giving to others I have been there I've been there in the last couple of years so I'm not trying to just throw darts at you guys I've been there trying to serve out of my own power, out of my own heart, has been destructive to me and others around me, some of whom are sitting in this room this morning. It's just true. And if I point back to what the cause of that is, is because I'm trying to do things out of my own power, rather out of meditating on Psalm 119 or anything else in this book. This is important stuff, because it affects other people, and it does not glorify God. So if you're in a season of numbness to the word of God, serving will not be life-giving. We are called as believers. We are called to do justice and to seek mercy and to walk humbly with our God. That's Micah chapter 6. And I, I don't know, I'm not I don't know Hebrew, uh, whatever that was written in, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, uh, um, an expert on languages and what order those are and where the emphasis is. But I don't think it's wrong to say that if we're walking humbly with God, we will do justice and we will seek mercy on, the, on the behalf of others. I think that makes sense. We will focus less on ourselves as we walk humbly with God. And we will, we will focus more on others. It's called dying to ourselves. It's called the gospel. That's what we're called to in the gospel. When I prayed earlier and I said the gospel turns our lives upside down and inside out, that's what it does. We are dying daily to ourselves. That's the call of the gospel. That's the good news That's the good news, that we get to die to ourselves, he gets to increase, and we do what? We decrease. The focus should not be on ourselves. It should be on God and on other people. I think, church, that this is one of the things the prophet is teaching us today. Habakkuk is asking important questions, right? He's asking big questions, and they're good questions to ask. In the midst of of cataclysmic events. We ask those questions too. And I'm not discouraging you from asking those questions. But God answers. And his short answer is this. I got this. Habakkuk, I got this. I'm your God. It's okay. The thing is, we don't like those answers, do we? God has it. God is doing his job. And he tells him, he goes, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. If I told you what I was up to, you wouldn't believe it. And then he tells him what he's up to. And he's right. he doesn't believe it. Because it's crazy. Because God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. They're much higher than ours. We all know this cognitively, don't we? But do we live it out? Do we believe that God really is God. Do we believe that his ways are really better than our ways? We don't. I don't. He says, I got this. But church, listen. As believers, we also have a job to do, don't we? Don't we? We are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're not to just throw our hands up in frustration and say, God, where are you? Now again, I'm not discouraging us from doing that because God's big enough. He can handle this. And we should ask these questions. And we should wrestle with these questions. And we should wrestle with things like disbelief and doubt. And we should engage other Christians in our lives, in our community, to, to, to wrestle with these things and to help us out. Because we all wrestle with those on some level at some point. And there's no shame whatsoever in wrestling with them. At all. It doesn't mean you're less than a Christian. It means you're honest means you're living a life of vulnerability and transparency. The very thing we foster and we try to foster in our gospel communities. But can I, be, can I be honest with you guys this morning? Will you give me permission to be quite frank with you this morning? Can I do that? I think that when we ask God these big questions and we say, God, where are you? Even those are good questions. I think God's saying... Where are you? Where are you in all this? We're real good at asking these questions of God. But when God turns those questions around to us and says, where are you in all this? We don't like those questions, do we? God is asking us where we are, church. He's saying, I've created you for something much more than to just complain. God's heart is that he wants you to complain to him, he wants you to 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 be honest and bear your heart to him because he loves you, and he's a big enough God to hear and to wrestle with your doubts and your feelings and your and perhaps your poor language, your cussing to God. He's big enough to handle that. I'm not saying to curse God. I'm saying, out of your frustration, he can handle that. We need to seek him first. In fact. We need to do more complaining to God and less complaining to each other. Amen? God says, lay the burden, lay the complaint at the foot of the cross because I've created you for something much, much bigger than to just wallow in your complaining and in your misery. And here's what he's saying that I've created you for. He said, I've appointed you to a task, and that task is to be an ambassador. A task is to be a minister of reconciliation. That task is that I, the living God of the universe, who created everything, desires to make my appeal through you and through me. Do you believe that, church? That's what God wants to do for us. He wants to make His appeal through us. This is amazing stuff. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Praise the Lord. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us You and me, believers, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, Paul says, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Did you hear this? God wants to make his appeal through us, church. He desperately... That's probably the wrong word. He wants to make his appeal through us. Maybe that is the right word. I'm not quite sure about that because God has this, but he has invited us into this process of making this amazing, cataclysmic, saving appeal to people. Is this a truth you're currently numb to? Because if it is, there's a problem. If you're numb to that truth in your life, there's a problem. I'm going to leave the response up to you because I can't fix that. Just like I can't fix it in my own heart, I have to seek the living God to change my heart. I think that's what the prophet Jeremiah was telling the people who were about to go into exile. We talk about ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation. He tells these people as they go into captivity, seek the welfare of your city where i've sent you into exile pray to the lord on behalf of those who are taking you into exile and are going to persecute you for in its welfare you will find your welfare another upside down inside out aspect of god that we don't understand but they had to be whining they knew what was about to happen and here they are being told by god seek the welfare of those people go and marry Marry off your sons and your daughters and plant gardens and live lives and build houses and be a blessing to the people that are persecuting you. That's what he's telling them to do. I think that's what Jeremiah is getting at. Church, we got to wake up. God is calling us to a whole lot more. We got to let God be God. And we need to be the church. We need to be the people that he has created and he has called us to do. And here's why. It's not so I can stand up here and yell at you. I usually don't preach this way, I don't think. But the world desperately needs to see something different. Desperately needs to see something different, something distinct, something that's not sarcastic, something that's not cynical, something that doesn't add fuel to an already raging dumpster fire. They need, and they're craving for something that's life-giving. And they're finding it, and they're trying to find it other places, and they'll never find it other places. And there are people that are going to leave this earth never having understood what real life is. And they live right next door to you. you. And they work right next to you. And they go to school with you. And you pass them every day in the shopping center. And it's the guy that gives you your coffee at Starbucks and checks you out at Schnucks. It's the people you walk your dogs with. God has called you to be a part of this in the midst, listen, in the midst of the swirling chaos all around you. In the midst of everything that's going on in your heart and in your life, both that is unseen and seen, God has called you to be a part of this because he's got this. And he's created you for so much more. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. One day, red tree is going to go away. I pray to God it's not soon. But one day, Red Tree will go away. These churches that we read about in the, in the book of Acts are all gone. We got to strike while the iron's hot, folks. We got to get after it while we're still here. While we're still able to walk, and to talk, and to breathe, and to engage people, we need to get about the work of God. So Habakkuk begins with these couple of complaints to God, but I think that we get a glimpse, as we close out this morning, we get a glimpse of the way, of where he's going to land in all of this. Again, this is all chapter one stuff. But we get a glimpse of where he's going to land in in verse 12 of chapter 1. He says, "Um, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you've ordained them as judgment and you, O rock. That's what he says. And I think that's a telling word of where he's going to end up. And this is a good word for us because ultimately where we need to land in the answer to our own questions about where God is in the midst of the chaos, where he is in the pain and the brokenness that we're going through or that others are going through in our lives is we have to cling to the rock. We know the rock is Jesus. And I want to close out this morning and I want to read for us in the Gospel of John. You can turn there if you'd like. John chapter 1. This book, this collection of ancient writings, which is God-breathed and is separated into two testaments, one pointing towards, uh, one giving promises and one fulfilling, describing the fulfillment of those promises. These are not just old, dusty, ancient words. This book came to life. This book came to life in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things and all means all were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was listen life and the life was the light of men The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And here's the hook, folks. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And He tells us to follow Him. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me into the arms of the broken people. Follow me into the arms of the needy people follow me into the chaotic world around you to meet the needs of the poor and the needy and the suffering and the hurt and the people that look like different than you and act different than you and speak different than you and who have different orientations in their life than you the people that jesus dined with and sat with and ultimately people pointed fingers at and they killed him for it are you willing to die for them are you even willing to have a conversation Church, that's our call is to follow Jesus. Lord, we thank you for these truths. These are hard truths for us, God, because there is more going on in this world than we can possibly explain. But Father, ultimately, we need to land in a place where we know that you are a God who has it. And you challenge us. You challenge us with your word that says, is the law paralyzed in your own life? Are you numb to it? Jesus, the word of God became flesh and he died for us. And you gave us your spirit to wake us up. To quicken us to this reality of our sin and the, the wonder of Jesus in our life. And that we can live a life now on this earth abundant. And give a different paradigm, a true paradigm to a dying and perishing world around us. God, thank you for this truth. We pray all this in the precious name of the one who died for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.